This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as a February room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and fishing accessories. Tech, precision, ingenuity, legacy. Go to cdfishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Here's your host, Lauren Carnop, and this is The February Room. This is The February Room, but obviously I'm not Lauren. I'm her husband, Justin, and she has allowed me to sit in this week specifically so I can chat with our special guest, uh, someone who I share some common ground with. Uh, I'd like to welcome Elk Kirk to the podcast. Elk, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for uh, inviting. It's, a, it's an honor to, to be on, on your podcast. Yeah, and we're giving this another go-around. Uh, the first time uh, we recorded this a week or so ago, we had some technical challenges, so uh, I appreciate you being patient and uh, giving us another shot, because I really, uh, uh, we do want to hear your story and find out more about you, um, your wife, Alicia, uh, your outfitting business, uh, Little Leaf. And, um, and what you guys are all about. Um, but first of all, would you mind telling me a, a great fishing story that you got? Oh, I got, I got quite a few. There's, there's so many, probably be hard to think of one, but, uh, probably one right off the bat would be meeting one of my idols, fishing idols, that a guy that got me interested, Jim Teeny. He's a famous legend here in the Pacific Northwest. And as a self-taught 
fly fisherman, I started reading a lot of books from Jim and most of my books I found at, at used stores like Goodwills and stuff. And so I grabbed a bunch of them up, start reading them and who would who expected, you know, eight, nine years later, you know, come down and uh, meet Mr. Teeny. He actually became one of our uh, clientels one year. Right. Uh, yeah. If I spot him, I got him. That's the Jim Teeny motto. I grew up watching those same videos. <laughs> Good guy. Him and Donna, they're, they're, a, they're a fabulous couple. And, and I take it upon myself when I first started with my wife to you know, to follow kind of in their footsteps as uh, being ambassador, ambassadors to the sport, to the to the industry, to the to the natural resources. Cool. What was it like fishing with Jim? Well, for for a while, you know, uh, I I never knew that he was all for nymphs. You know, I thought he did dries. So I seen him in action. The first time we had him was oh about six years ago. And we just start chatting. My wife had him at first. I had a half day trip with another outfit. So we met up and I wasn't, wasn't even five minutes. I'm talking to Jim and all of a sudden he hooks into a, like a 22 inch red side. And so we had our laughs and had a really good time. That was just a monumental thing to, to have a guy like that, Jim and Donna out here. And two years after that, I really started getting into my own flies, my dry flies, my my special predator flies that I use during our salmon fly hatch. And one year, Jim and Donna came down, and I gave Donna a couple of my predators, and she was catching fish left and right, no problem. And it got to be about half a day, and Jim wasn't getting that big of a fish. He was getting some here and there. And it was just a warm, warm year. So I handed Jim one of my new predator flies and I said, Hey Jim, you want to try out one of my new flies? I said, I just tied it last night. I put all these pretty cool uh, UV uh, color dubbing and stuff on it. You know, I explained to him. He said, sure, sure. Elk. He put it on. I kid you not, on a second cast, another 22 inch fish slammed his fly <laughs> and you lit up he was like that's amazing elk he said you inspired me he said i'm gonna try a couple of my own uh dry fly patterns out now up up to that point had he just been running teeny nymphs yeah uh matter of fact donna was below and she saw that fish she heard it because it was splashing good you know it was coming out of the water that those red sides are crazy they're just like a bull going loose in a rodeo just thrashing just jumping up and down and she looked up and she said, Jim, are you using a dry fly? And Jim said, yeah, Donna. He said, it's been, what, 1972, the last time I used a dry fly. No way. I did not know that. <laughs> that was so honorable. Well, that's cool. Hey, you, you broke Jim Teeny, man. That's something you can hang your hat on. You cut <laughs> him off the Teeny Nymph and uh, fishing a dry fly. That's awesome. But that's, that's probably one of my most uh, best, proudest uh, stories and we always re remain in uh, contact we go back and forth and they're very supportive for what me and my wife stands for through our guide services cool and uh and you know as a guide kind of what is your ethos as a native american you've got definitely a you know a deeper connection to the land than a lot of people you know probably understand and um and what do you guys uh what do you guys impress upon your clients out there when you're guiding on the deschutes well, the best that we impressed them was the these shoots herself. We don't we don't have to do anything. I mean, the these shoots is so good. 
she can make anybody anybody into a guide you know she she has that magical touch that'll just get people connected and hooked you know for for life like an addiction that you just can't get enough of yeah it's an amazing river man and uh, you know what you said about uh about the shoots rainbows being rodeo but that uh that is uh, right on cue you know pound for pound um there's not a there's probably not a harder freshwater fighting fish than it shoots red side. A big one is just that they're tanks, man. They're so tough and that current, they're so, they're strong fish and, and in their environment, they are, uh, they're uh, quite a, quite an animal to deal with at the end of the line for sure. Oh yes. The biggest one our client got was 26 or 27. My wife landed one at 26 inches on a six weight single hand with a nymph size no, 12. Bad. Yep. <laughs> wow, I had no idea they even got that big in there. Yeah, the, the tribes last year, Natural Resources, they, they had a big 26-inch hand female red side that was in a trap. Wow, that's awesome, man. That's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I fished that river um, for the better part of 20 years growing up. And, uh, you know, my father represented the, the Warm Springs tribe, which you're a member of, correct? Yes, me and Alicia. Right. So, you know, I, I was privileged enough that um, once a year during Payumsha, we got to go down and fish there um, on your water. And uh, uh, the, the rainbows were obviously noticeably larger on that side uh, than the other side, but nothing ever close to 26, 27 inches. That's crazy, man. I couldn't imagine hooking one of those. That would be uh, That would be a rodeo for sure. Well, I, I have like... 43 years of fishing this river since i was seven years old so i know every single hole where they hide out oh yeah i grew up following my dad and my dad used to spearfish eels in the rivers not many people could say that nowadays no i wouldn't say so uh-uh <laughs> i'd say my best accomplishments by hand is i caught two rainbow trout and i caught two salmon by hand hand line just them. sneaking up on them right in front of clients and grabbing them out of the water oh oh just grabbing them <laughs> yeah some kung fu mixed with some native american sneaking techniques <laughs> so tell me a little about little leaf guide service we've been in business for about eight years uh i've guided 10 years total and we're 100 percent self-taught and that and we're also uh self-taught on spay casting I'm tying flies. My flies, I can't get enough uh, compliments on them for the action they all come out. Um, me and my wife are also uh, advocates for natural resources, so we go around and we speak at a lot of events and things that threaten our natural resources, whether it be in our town or another state or something. But if it's important places that's uh, against human threats of life and animals, then we're there, you know, because. Uh, you, the U.S., United States, you know, to us, it's like part of our heart, part of our soul. So we we have to be there and take care of our natural resources because that's who we are. That's where we're from. That's what difference is the difference between us, you know, as Native Americans. So to be true caretakers, you got to be able to sacrifice things. And we sacrifice and we give back and we share. So like the food that we get all the fish extra fish we can we try to give it to our people that that needs it and which is a lot of people so there's a lot of elders sick people and we we try to give what we can wish we could have more but 
We do what we do. Right, and along those lines, you know, dam removal is um, kind of at the forefront of the conversation right now up and up and down the Columbia, especially given the fact um, that, you know, the steelhead and salmon numbers are, are abysmal right now. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the dam situation on the Columbia elk? Well, they've been in for, what, over 150 years, a lot of these dams, and, and for a while, everything was you know still kind of on balance you know with nature but now in today's modern times everything's so industrialized that there's a mass uh, logging there's all kinds of mining a lot of pollution and garbage that are laid out so it, these things are affecting our uh, our planet it's warming everything up and since a youth i'm seeing all these things and before my very eyes i'm seeing a water change i'm seeing these invasive fish, I'm seeing these invasive algaes change our rivers. And what's sad is people like our government and even our president, they don't see the balance of nature like we do. They don't see that how, how important it is that we have to preserve our nature. I mean, that's kind of like a, a filter, like an air filter you breathe. And if you keep dirt in that filter, you know, you got to change it. The only thing is we don't have no more filters. So we have to try to keep everything clean, try to keep our rivers clean. Right now, even when our own river is suffering on its, what, third, fourth year of a low extinction runs, near extinction runs for the steelhead. Yeah. Sandy, the Clackamas, I, I could keep going on all these names from Oregon to Washington down to California. And it's bad and everybody's trying to, you know, blame things like the sea lions they're they're crying about not enough fish hatcheries it's more than that i mean you could have you could have thousands of fish hatcheries but you don't have the habitat that could keep them balanced or fed that's why we're having all these fish come back looking skinny and sickened and stuff yeah so me and my wife besides guiding we're we're out there best we can we're, we're we worked with a lot of different outfits and uh, businesses, companies, uh, non-profit, the DRA, uh, Trout Unlimited. We've done so much work with these organizations. We won. We got a couple wins on our notch, on our belts against uh, big companies like corporations, uh, oil refineries on the Columbia. Was involved? Weren't they trying to draw a bunch of water out of? out of the Deschutes watershed or something like that to bottle it? Yeah, right there in uh, Cascade Lock, Oxbow Springs on our uh, seeded lands. They were trying to do it on a, a expired 1970s permit for $500 <laughs> and they wanted two and, like two and a half million gallons. And they were lying to the people saying that they were gonna pr provide jobs if they, if they put it in there. Well, we found out that from the inside that uh, it was going to be a robotic system, which only required two workers. So, but anyway, they were doing this during a drought season where steelhead and uh, sturgeon, we seen sturgeon that were floating belly up. I, I was seeing algae growth on a, on a Columbia like I'd never ever seen before. So that was a reality check. And back then, that's pretty much what started me and my wife off back in 2015. Since then, we've pretty much made our presence known from Washington, Oregon, and we even went down to Standing Rock and stood against uh, the no dapple to 
you know, to stop the pipelines that was going through the, the Native Americans' reservations, their own lands. They were going to their graves. And then, uh, what? But he was lying, saying there was no graves through there. And yeah, it was it was an ugly thing. And you know why they went through there? They went through there because the original route was going through Bismarck, right above Bismarck. And one of the engineers thought, oh, if we have a leak, we're going to poison the town. Let's move it down below the city to the Native Americans. <laughs> That's what they did. Yeah, it's sad to say, man, your guys, uh, your guys' war is never over, is it? No, no. But see, with me and my wife, we've been headstrong onto it. So we didn't want to just be one of that, you know, a couple that's just going to stand on a street corner with some signs and get flipped off and yelled at and, and not really make a meaning. So we went to the horse's head itself. We went and started meeting with our senators or, or uh, Democrats or Republicans for our state. And we even got to meet with the governor where Governor Brown heard of us, where she even invited us to, to speak against uh, the no offshore drilling by President Trump. And we had one day <laughs> to think about it because the next day we had a half trip and then we had to zip to Portland. And she said, come in your work clothes. So we did. And it was all a blessing because everything was full, parking lots, right? We pulled right up in front of a building and somebody just pulled out, pulled in, made it right on time but yeah so we went far all the way to the capitol we even did a rally against at the capitol and had a, a a record for the most native americans there and we got governor brown to switch switch back and sign against so that was a, a another big win right there in itself but uh we got a chance to talk to uh senator bentz and um, a few other republican senators and worked out a plan and told them our issues on these waters and a few of them had connections on the rivers too so they knew they were aware of it and they were going to push for it and so it worked in our favor and it felt like we had somewhat of a victory by going to the very very top and talking to our government officials and it feels good that they listened and we could see that our natural resources are at least somewhat in good hands so far well, you definitely have a warrior spirit, Elk. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your family lineage and where you think that comes from? I'm proudly from three chief bloodlines. From my Walla Walla Nimapu side, I'm from Alakot. He was the war chief and young brother to Chief Joseph. That's my grandma's side. And, and also my grandmother's side, I'm from Chief Alhai. He was a a war chief during the Yakima Wars when his nephew, Chief Kamekin, was the head the head chief of the Yakima. And our Little Leaf business name is from my father's father. His, his name is Jack Little Leaf of the Pecani Nation in Brockett, Alberta, Canada. Pecani means Blackfeet. So so my grandpa, was the, he was a chief and he was also the, a world champion traditional dancer and his nickname was Bull Jingles back in the days because I guess he was pretty fancy out there. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And, uh, and did you inherit, inherit any of those skills from him? I did. I was a very good traditional dancer and I'm actually in the works of uh, putting together outfit again because I haven't danced since a youth. Oh, cool. But you're going you're gonna to get the band back together, so to speak, eh? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Cool, man. Awesome. I, I think you told me at one point you used to um, dance at Payumsha when you were a young boy. Yep, I used to be the, one of the only kids around around here that used to have a, a war bonnet. And then I'd have my uh, hawk feather bustle and I'd have my leggings and my outfit. It was regalia. It was a good outfit. And I used to dance around uh, Chief Bullneck back then. I didn't know he was a chief, but my dad always said, go dance by him. So I always dance by him. <laughs> well, cool. Well, in, in addition to Jim Teeny, um, who are some of the other clients? I know a lot of, you know, the the, the native side of the Deschutes is is a destination fishery. Um, and it's on the bucket list of uh, a lot of, you know, on a lot of anglers lists. So a lot of folks, a lot of famous people, a lot of well-known anglers, you know, um, they they come out there to fish with y'all. Who else have you fished with that uh, that stands out? Oh, we fished with the, a local famous guy named um, Gary Lewis. He does the TV show Frontier Unlimited. Oh, sure, I know Gary. I I remember Gary from back in the Ben days. Mm-hmm. The Samuel Pike, I, he's his video guy. And then uh, we had we had a uh, Todd Mullen come out and do a video of us called Sky High Salmon Fly. Oh, that's the best. That's the best salmon fly video. What what's it called again? Sky High. Sky High Salmon Fly. It's on YouTube, also, and that already has like over three and a half million views. That that movie was pure love, and it was like my first time actually fishing the salmon fly hatch by myself because. When I first started guiding, I didn't have any really free time at all. And when I did fish, it was like way at the end of the day, you know, the fish weren't going so crazy for the fly. So that was my first time. We didn't, we didn't rehearse or nothing. That was just all cat cast and get smashed. <laughs> how, how did that come about? That would did Todd Bowen reach out to you and just be like, hey, we want to come film this salmon fly video. Or are you down? And you just said, sure. A friend, Jake. Our friend Jacob Lund, he he was friends with Todd Mullen. Jacob Lund guided for us. Uh, he used to be with the Salmon Fly Syndicate. Right on. Yeah, that's where I first uh, saw the you know the bow and arrow deal, and I was like, ah, I got to learn how to do that. That's not as easy as it looks. You got it. If you don't if you don't hold that hook right, that's the important part. The hook. A lot of people think of holding the line, but no, you got to hold the very butt end of the hook. Otherwise, you will you will get it. If you live. In, you know, in a bushy, jungly area like ourselves, you got to practice that move at, at least, you know, once or twice a week. Keep it in motion. <laughs> right. And on the shoots, you're not, there's no fishing from the boat. It's all, uh, it's all wade fishing. You're, and you guys do a combination of floating and um, fishing from four-wheel drive vehicles, right? Yes, we have, we have Suburbans mm-hmm, that takes you spot to spot. Um, and then our drift boat, our Pravati, it's an 18-footer. It could seat four four anglers on it. And I could also take uh, handicapped people, and we could get them in wheelchairs, get them in there, take the seats out. They're adjustable, full, full uh, level floor. Um, no problem. We've had many, many people that couldn't get out and about on the shore, so we could fish them from our side on the boat. Nice. Um, as far as the, the state of the Deschutes goes, Years ago, they put in what's called a selective water withdrawal system at uh, at Roundview Dam. Am I accurate on that? Yeah. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about that and then what that has done to the river and what uh, what that whole system is all about? It's kind of a 
it's kind of an experimental thing. It had never been done before. So I'd like to learn more about that. Well, from what I from what I understand, it wasn't. It was uh, PGE, the tribes. It was Madras, Culver, Bend. All these, everybody all agreed upon it to, to put it in. So when they put it in, that's when we started noticing a change in the river. Um, the temperature got a lot warmer. The clarity disappeared. And then we started seeing algae growth when they first put that thing in. Um, and that's also when we first started seeing uh, the black spot disease, cocopods, freshwater lice. And then we even started hearing the swirly disease and a few other I can't remember what they were called, but yeah, it was not good. <laughs> when when they put that in, what it done is took the cold current flow of the Metolius River and it redirected it to the bottom of the dam because the reservoir dam area is where they keep all their hatchery fish. All the fish that gets that the people are catching in buoy ten and stuff, you know, they they get it because of those fish that are transported and put out in reservoirs like that. So they turned uh, that reservoir basically into like a big giant fish tank with more oxygen and cooler levels conditions. And at the same time, we were getting the warm spill off water, the runoff water that just goes over the dam. You know, we weren't getting from underneath the flow no more. We we're getting a spill off and that, that was more higher levels of pH and nitrogen, which was the ingredients that grew the algae. Essentially, they just kind of stirred up a big petri dish and kicked it out into the deschutes. Yep. And so what it did, the first two years, it killed off a lot of insects. And that was a bad year. Uh, so the fish are kind of starved. So they're eating snails. The snails were yeah, what they snails. were getting a black spot exactly. parasite from. And the kingfisher birds were the ones that spread them up and down the river. How many years has that been in place? Do you know? What, eight, nine, nine, I think what, nine, nine years now, ten years now. And so currently, what's the status of the river, do you think? Is it, what's the trend? So what's weird is we finally been uh, getting higher water levels for the past two years because we've been telling a lot of those PG guys on Facebook and everything they need to, you know, kick out more water, need more water. So they started putting out more water. In doing so, since last year was the first time in seven years that we had clear water. Because before that, it was all dark green. That's why we started going with thick uh, studs on our boots and having our clients wear have walking sticks. Because you couldn't see no more. You couldn't sight fish no more. Well, now, since last year, since they've been increasing their flow and playing with that, that water withdrawal system, it, it has been somewhat better, I've noticed. Well, that's good. They're listening to you then. Right. But we still, we still, almost every trout we catch, bull trout, almost every species has the black spot, even the stillhead. If they settle in the river for a month, a little over a month, by the time they come our way, when we catch them, you can see the black spot. And not many people are keen to knowing what to look for like we are. What is black spot? It's a parasite from those snails. And what's it do to the fish? How do you de how do you detect it? Supposedly, it doesn't do anything to the fish. The PG biologists are the ones who says it that it doesn't do anything. They said they said it doesn't do no harm eating the fish. I asked them. Well, I said, "Well, who'd you guys test it on?" <laughs> What's sad is is they used our people 
and tried saying that the black spot disease was here historically and it was never here because my wife's grandfather was a, is a tribal historian here. He's what, 90 years old? And he also had fishing businesses on the Columbia, on the Deschutes, and on Lake Billy Chinook and some Tustus. So he, he fished everywhere. He did it all. We showed him the black spot disease and said, you ever seen this grandpa? George Aguilar, senior. He'd never ever seen it. He was appalled when he seen it. And what's it look like on the fish? It looks like on their belly. You really have to look on their belly, but you'll see like black dots. Like look like somebody dropped sprinkled pepper on it. Fish that gets it worse are the uh, bull trout because they're more of a predatorial oh, fish. So they get so much on their white bellies that it turns their white bellies into a dark, ugly color, like a solid color, because there's so thousands of them that it like matches their upper body. Yeah, and that's your native resident fish there that uh, they're doing everything to protect across the range. I mean, technically, the bull trout in the D shoots they don't get no uh, no recognition. That doesn't make any sense. I know that's. I remember when I was a, I wasn't very old and I was fishing on the Deschutes and um, I saw this guy catch this big bull trout. I didn't know what it was, you know. It was just this great big fish that uh, wasn't a steelhead. It was actually, uh, this was below Bend, between Bend and Billy Chinook. And, uh, and the guy pulled it in and bonked it. And, uh, you know, I was like, God, what the heck was that thing? And in those days, you could, you could just you know, you could catch and kill them still. And I mean, there were not very many big bull trout around because you did not see very many in the Deschutes. The Metolius is a stronghold for them. Uh, you guys fished the Metolius some, right? Tell me about a little bit about that. Like I grew up fishing the Metolius, but I know that there's a a zone down on the lower end that's uh, that's tribal that um, is kind of the stronghold of the fish that run up from Billy Chinook and... Um, I know you and Alicia poke around in there a little bit. It's a, it's a phenomenal place. It's 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 treacherous on our side because we have to like four by four, probably like an hour, and then walk down a, a steep hill just to get to the bottom. So it's it's a price you got to pay just to make it to the fishing okay. hole. <laughs> but we go down there a few times and uh, take our spay rods, and it's, it's phenomenal. The my first bull trout was 39 inches yeah they're they're beast and what's sad though is we we've caught so many poachers in that area chased them out that almost every fish we caught their mouths were deformed because of those treble hooks they're just ripping out of their mouths every time they caught one now is that from guys motoring up from billy chinook and poaching tribal water yep going right there and fishing with the uh, the spinners, but yeah, anyway, all, almost every fish we caught, their mouths are all deformed just because they healed up from, from all those lures, trouble hooks. So it's pretty sad seeing that. And on our side, I found a section down there that was like Christmas trees. There was lures all over, Rapalas. Some of them are like a foot long. What do you, what's being done about that? Are they patrolling that down there at all or? No, they I haven't. I have never ever seen no uh, law enforcement down there ever patrolling it, and mainly because probably it's low to get out there. You got to have kind of a smaller boat. You can't have like a big boat because there's some low sections. 
Well, you gotta get some game, get some game cameras up and. Oh, they the tribe does have some game cameras now. They they've already caught a few people. And oh, same good. thing on the D shoots. That on on the on the tribal land between uh, between Trout Creek. Tribal and state. Oh, cool. And I guess the new the new thing is the game warden's going to be having some new drones out too. Oh, good, good. They look like uh, birds of prey or something. Oh yeah. Even our side fishing on a D shoots, we at least running. I don't know, a good couple handful of poultures. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, guys that float over there. Usually, especially if it's you know newbies or something, but the guides and stuff, they they kind of cross the line, or because there's an honorable system you got to have in that in the river, you know. That's that's like theft, especially people like me and my wife. How hard we are, we're only seasonal, so each day counts. You know, those those fish are our clients because that's what they pay for. Right, and every guide knows the rules on that river. They all know where the boundary is. They all know the deal. And if they're over there, then they, in my mind, they deserve to be, they deserve to be penalized because that's not right. So it's a, it's a lot of education, frustration, you know, that you see and go through. Trials and tribulations as a, a guide and somebody that takes things like that to the heart. Would you like to see the Deschutes go to, would you like them uh, to change the regulations to allow fishing from the boat at all in any capacity? No, not at all. That because when you do that, you're hooking in the fish, especially like during spawning time, you know, trout, mayfly season time. You you hook to a fish, it's protecting its eggs, and you pull it way down the river and let it go. You know, it's 50-50 it's chance you're going to kill it. And that's what happened during the early 80s on the D shoots when the fish, the red bands were nearing extinction. So that's when the tribes took over and they uh, stopped the regulations on the boats going through and started uh, restoring the riverbanks, restoration on the uh, streams, and started putting more into their hatchery, making it bigger. Yeah, it's an interesting rule because, you know, out here in Montana, we all it's all fishing from the boat, but um, the majority of these fish here are not native fish, right? So there's only a few places where there's West Slope cutthroat, um, and then, you know, there's some bull trout strongholds, but... The primary game fish being, you know, West Slope cutthroat and then rainbows and browns. But all the rainbows and browns are introduced fish. So they're not native. So it's you're not comparing apples to apples. Um, right. You know, when people are like, well, why can't you fish from the boat on the Deschutes? That's yeah. stupid. Like, well, no, yeah. you don't get it. It's a completely different system. And, and the tribe stopped letting the brown trout over to Pelton Dam six, six years ago. I think six years ago now. Since then, I've seen the river greatly improve. I've seen the fish just get football size. They're like footballs now, especially during the salmon fly hatch time. Well, man, I want to come down there and book a book a day with you guys and uh, and bring my wife and and go check it out. The that story right there, the the football size of the fish, the twenty six, twenty seven inch rainbows. Even though the odds of getting one of those. Uh, on a day or two are awfully slim just to know that those are around really entices me to come back and uh and fish the deschutes with you i'd love to get on that stretch uh oh that'd be awesome that'd be good to have you guys out there you guys already know you're gonna have three x that's all that's all i own so we're in good shape there <laughs>
You do have uh, you do have a fly rod you told me about that a client gave you though, um, which which kind of surprised me because there there wasn't there. I think you've had it for a while and maybe had one of the first ones. Um, tell me about that six weight XLS, the CD rod composite development. I got it from a guy named Bill, and this guy named Bill said that he got it from a friend from New Zealand that owns the the CD company over in New Zealand or something like that. I'll be dang, it must have been a friend of Marty Johansson's. Interesting. How long have you had it? Almost, I'd say close to five years now. That's been my right-hand weapon on that river. I even landed a couple steelhead on that thing. That six-weight is badass. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Glad I've, to hear that, man. I've, I've lost count on, on newbies, men and women, that caught their first fish on that. So, very good rod. Well, if uh, if uh, one of your clients ever slams it in the car door or anything, uh, give me a shout and we'll replace it for you. <laughs> for sure. All right, Elk Man, I really appreciate you talking with us today. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to come out and, uh, and meet you and Alicia in person one of these days and get on the river. Looking forward to it. If anybody wants to get a hold of us, Little Leaf Guides. Elk Little Leaf on Instagram, at Elk little leaf and uh little leaf guide service on facebook for the inside scoop on the fly patterns we've discussed with our guest check our blog for flies of the february room if you would like to enter the february room shoot us an email at info at cdfishing.us also remember to subscribe share and if we've earned it give us those five stars thanks for dropping by and remember to go fishing